Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival. Presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean. Keith Urban. Jelly Roll. Old Dominion. Lady A. Riley Green. Ashley McBride. Brothers Osborne. Walker Hayes. All hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th. Stream only on Hulu. Starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. Up next, Luna Talks with Anna Paulina Luna. Part of the Gingrich 360 Network. Don't let the media fool you. There's no GOP civil war. In fact, the Republican Party is more united than ever, putting Americans first and embracing the conservative values that so many of us hold dear. Critics want you to think the ousting Liz Cheney spells trouble, but I'm here to tell you that it's marking the turning of a tide. This is Luna Talks with Anna Paulina. This week's episode is covering down on something that I have been waiting to talk about since the November election. So just to give you guys some background information, prior to the November election, so many people, so many establishment people were telling me, why are you aligning yourself with President Trump? Well, I believe in what President Trump was fighting for. I believe in the America First movement. And I can tell you that in general, there were so many people that, and reporters, you name it, people reaching out that were saying, you know, what do you think is the future of the GOP? And I'm talking about after the November 6th election. And I said, well, I think that what you're going to see is the GOP changing this whole concept of the new GOP. And with last week's events of the replacing of Liz Cheney on May 12th, what did this mean for the future of the GOP? And what is it telling us about the 2020 election cycle? This is Anna Paulina with Luna Talks. Thank you for tuning in. And I'm very excited to brush up on this episode. After the 2020 election cycle, many people were completely upset, scared, frustrated. I saw so many people that I think just lost faith in politics altogether because of what we saw happen around the country and specifically what you know, some members of the Republican Party were doing in order to not protect the American people. Like you cannot have elected officials there that are turning their back on their voters, their constituents, but also too, I think the Republican Party. 
And especially with political targeting that's taking place in this country, not just online, but also in person, you know, there's no question in my mind that the Biden administration is actively engaging in this, whether it's with big tech, whether it's with some of these corporations, whether it's even with the DOJ. I think that there's a lot of political targeting taking place. But what do the American people want, specifically Republicans? And what I found is when I was campaigning in the 2020 election cycle, there were so many people that just had no concept, no idea. They just lost touch with, I think, your average voter. And I myself consider myself an average person. I don't have this elitist perspective. I'm not condescending. I don't want to just hang out in, you know, the yacht clubs and the garden parties out in DC. You know, you should go there to want to make change. And I think that many people that are cut out for office are actually the ones that want it the least, if that makes sense. You know, people don't realize that when you are elected, I mean, the American people realize, but I think a lot of politicians forget that when you are elected to office, it's a public service. It's not a mini monarchy. It's not you being at the top of the totem pole and looking down. You are supposed to literally be a voice for the people that you're promising to represent up there. And what we realized is that we had a ton of GOP freshmen like Madison Cawthorn, Byron Donalds, Burgess Owens, that were more vocal about this absurd transition from the Biden administration during the transition of power than some members of Congress who'd been there for decades. And I'm not just talking about Democrats, I'm talking about Republicans. You know, America first, that idea is not just a campaign tactic. It's real. It's a movement and it's not hard to grasp, right? It's pretty straightforward. It means no special interests, no selling out the American people. It means putting America first in all legislation, first and foremost. What is the best for the country, people, and future generations? And I remember after my election in November, I received an email from one of my former donors saying that that they did not think that I was going to win because I was supportive of this movement. And that if I ever aligned myself with this movement in Washington, D.C., or if I ever supported anyone who supported President Trump, that I would never make it. And I read this email and I knew in my gut, I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to respond because I felt, and I do feel, and we saw last week, something that I'd been predicting for a while, that I have a really good judge in my gut of what's happening nationally, not just at the political level, but at the grassroots level and specifically in Florida, which is, I would argue, one of the most important political strategy states in the entire United States. We have the I-4 corridor and it's commonly known that every single president's needs the I-4 corridor, needs to campaign off of that if they want those electoral votes and if they want to make it to the White House. So it's called the pathway to the White House. The reason I even had to gauge on this and, you know, specifically as a grassroots activist is because I had spent so much time, not just online, but going to events around the country, going to college campuses, literally doing what I think a lot of people should have to do prior to even holding office. And the difference between, I think, myself and a lot of other candidates that I was coming across is instead of talking, I would listen. And when you listen, people will tell you a lot. They will tell you what they're concerned about. And that's really what politics, I think, should be about altogether. It all starts locally. But why specifically was May 12th important, right? We know that Liz Cheney was removed from the House GOP conference chair position. But it signified a turning of the tides within the GOP to back and to support the strong America First movement. And, you know, 
it's been kind of interesting because I had been asked about my opinion on the future of the GOP after the 2020 election cycle from countless reporters, even to include many from Europe that are following American politics very, very closely and also in South America. And I remember thinking it's not going to be the fracturing of the GOP that's going to help anyone, right? We need to be a united front. But also too, when you have people that come out after such a brutal election cycle to say that, you know, they are going to do everything that they can to work against the former president Trump, that to me shows that not only are they completely out of touch with 50 other million Americans that had voted for President Trump and had voted for elected officials that were not a part of that quote-unquote establishment mentality. But it shows also that these people aren't seeing, I think, the national implication of what a fractured GOP would be, which is essentially, you know, if we're divided, then how are we going to be able to legislate? How are we going to be able to run people for office that we believe will protect the Constitution and protect the American people? And I'd argue that this is actually the GOP after the 12th of this past month embracing and accepting the strong conservative values brought forth by many America First representatives in both the House and the Senate, which means that the party is uniting. So more Americans, especially now, are understanding this. I know that there was some talk for some time about people wanting to leave the GOP. No, that's that's not what needs to happen. People need to run for office and bring change from within, which is exactly what we are saying. Again, going back to some of these GOP freshmen that have been elected, these are are the up and coming voices of the millennial and Gen Z generation, right? We have this transition of power from the old guard to the new guard. And that's exactly what we're saying. But especially now, I mean, it's uncomfortable. I remember I saw a photo actually on the internet that I happened to post on my Instagram of gas prices currently in California. And it was upwards of $5.38 a gallon. So Americans that typically wouldn't be paying attention to politics, I think are especially now paying attention to it. And when you have this inflation happening, especially with something as simple as lumber prices and gas, that's scary because your gas prices go up. It's going to affect everything else. It's going to cost more for truck drivers to deliver food. It's going to cost more for some of your basic point A to point B transportation, whether it's airplane or vehicle, and that's going to directly impact how much food people can buy, everything. And that's what we're currently seeing right now. The DNC spent serious money trying to figure out why the border was such a hot topic and why border town Hispanic Americans had voted down ballot Republican and supported President Trump, regardless of the DNC's blitzkrieg of propaganda on the border issues. And that's something that I had addressed in a previous episode on immigration, the propaganda of the border crisis. But I just wanted to remind everyone that there it's been now several months since the Biden-Harris administration has taken over and that Kamala Harris was appointed to be the vice president and handle this border crisis. And she's yet to go down to the U.S.-Mexico border. And to me, that's, you know, that's pretty horrifying. You have someone that's supposed to represent minority women and prides herself on being the first vice president that's, you know, a black woman or a half black woman. And yet she's actively ignoring the human trafficking and slave trade, whether it's through labor trafficking, sex trafficking of Hispanic women and children at the U.S.-Mexico border. To me, that makes her a hypocrite. You know, they spent this money and by they, I met the DNC spent 
a ton of money actually now investing over $200 million at targeting disinformation online, specifically in Spanish and to the Hispanic demographic via memes, because the new GOP, aka people that are online, really have emerged under Trump in the last four years. We know how to use social media. We understand the importance of using memes and that might sound dumb, but you know, memes are worth a thousand words. They are images that people can laugh at, that they understand the general concept. It's honestly a pretty creative tasking to be able to do it, but they also go viral because that virality, that sharing of those ideas is a huge threat, especially to people like, you know, those leftists that have hijacked the Democrat party that don't want to have free speech. These people are actively working with big tech to suppress people's ideas, to suppress the America First movement, to suppress anyone, whether you are black, white, Hispanic, Native American, Asian, whether you're a man or a woman, whether you are a Christian or an atheist, they don't care. If you don't agree with them, they will try to steamroll you. So what is the new GOP? Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this quick break. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival. Presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean. Keith Urban. Jelly Roll. Old Dominion. Lady A. Riley Green. Ashley McBride. Brothers Osborne. Walker Hayes. All hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th. Stream only on Hulu. Starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. Well, I was able to witness the start of this transition to the new party coming forward, not just as a candidate in 2020, but also as someone who happened to make friends with some of the 2020 candidates that are now sitting and elected members of Congress. And I think that that's actually a really unique position to be in because it's like we went through this incredible election, historical election at that. And there are some things that, you know, only your friends can understand, especially when you are on the campaign trail, whether it was dealing with the attacks, whether it's the stress, whether it's family, you know, you form this bond with someone. And I think that that actually enables you to really become not just friends for life, but especially in a political climate in Washington, D.C. that we currently have allies with one another. But I think that this new GOP is shattering stereotypes. And that's been a big one, right? We know that for a really long time, the GOP specifically has been wrongfully targeted as quote unquote, just being the party of old white males, which to be clear, one, there's nothing wrong with being an old white male, but it's an absolute lie. There are so many minorities. There are so many women. There are so many people that break these stereotypes that the progressive left wants to suppress. I mean, in fact, if you notice a lot of these suppressed candidates in the 2020 election cycle and suppressed voices online are those of minority conservatives. There's a reason why they do that, right? If they can keep the information isolated and controlled to the masses, then they essentially are controlling the election cycles. And that's, I think, strategy 101. But is it right? No, it's absolutely wrong. 
And that idea, that whole concept of being minorities, both black and Hispanic in, in, you know, the 2020 election class as well for different candidates, there were a ton of women. In fact, I think the 2020 election cycle was known as the year for Republican women candidates because we actually shattered some of the records of the amount of women that were elected to the GOP, which was amazing to see, especially for, I think, younger women wanting to get into politics, realizing that that's something that, you know, is attainable, absolutely doable. And then you see that whole concept of girl power, as weird as it might sound for the guys listening, you know, that is actually really refreshing to see. But it's dangerous to the DNC because much of their national propaganda and their divisive strategy for the election is based on identity politics. So I always say that you fight fire with fire and think about the pandering that took place at the DNC presidential candidate debates, right? You literally had so many candidates to include Cory Booker, who completely butchered. I I don't want to even say that he was speaking Spanish. It was just this completely butchered rendition. But, you know, at the end of the day, guys, we speak English, you know, (laughs) we're here in the United States. And I don't think that there's any reason, especially at a presidential debate for people to be speaking in Spanish. You know, we have Spanish media outlets. I, myself, I actually work with a very prominent Spanish news outlet called El American, which translates, we do interviews in English, and then we translate it into Spanish for some of the Spanish voting block, uh, Spanish speaking voting block. But there's no reason why at the candidate debates for the DNC here in the United States of America, where we speak English, that they should be pandering like that in Spanish to a voting block that honestly doesn't even really align with, you know, their ideas. Because again, Hispanic Americans are inherently conservative based on cultural values. So aside from that, aside from the whole shattering the identity politics, the new GOP is huge on funding from people, not from special interest groups. And that's something that I really believe that in the 2016 election cycle, that President Trump proved that you don't need those special interest groups to have your back in DC. In fact, you can do it on your own. That's why I think social media is such an important thing for younger candidates. You know, this is a huge deal because the DC insider money is not always in the best interest of the American people or even the people of the districts that the representatives are supposed to be, you know, voicing their opinions for. They are completely out for themselves. I'm a huge advocate on not really taking corporate interest money because once you go to DC, what is the point of saying that you are quote unquote representative if you're not even able to represent the interests and needs of your people because you're bought out and paid for by these special interest groups before you even get to Washington, DC. And to give you guys kind of a heads up on a story that took place with me when I first had declared as a candidate. I was up in DC and there was a lobbyist that I sat down with from an American auto manufacturer. And he was saying that, you know, he loved my platform, that I would be a great voice in DC, but that apparently he was having issues and they were having issues on tariffs and that the Trump administration, they didn't appreciate what they were doing on taxing them and their goods because they were manufacturing overseas. Well, first of all, Trump was right in believing that you shouldn't be manufacturing overseas, especially if it's an American uh, automobile, you should be manufacturing here back in the States. But also too, he saw that I wasn't agreeing with him. So I just continued to let him talk. And then prior to the conversation ending, he goes, you know, you'd be again, just an incredible voice. We'd love to work with you, but you know, we would really need your help on this tariff thing. If you ever would like to check out one of these vehicles, we can get you a really good price on it and it's totally legal. And I looked at this guy and I remember thinking, 
just, he must really think that I'm an idiot, right? Like you don't ever go into that situation. First of all, it doesn't even sound right. But also too, you know, some people, the best people like myself, you can't buy them. You can't buy their opinions. You can't buy their loyalty to this country. And I politely declined, but that's something that happens. If that happened to me, imagine how much that's happening on a regular basis to other elected representatives in Washington, DC. And it's wrong. It shouldn't be happening, but that's just a slight example of what's taking place with that special interest money. And then also to relying on that national small dollar donor program is something that many, I think, Democrat representatives started doing early on. But with the new GOP, especially with candidates and representatives who are savvy on social media, it's become easier to almost start their own small dollar program. And I think that that's the most important. I remember getting a donation from a woman who was actually working at a Taco Bell in Michigan. Okay. And so she made a $20 donation and I called to say thank you because you're thinking about someone who's working every single day, probably making minimum wage. And $20 is honestly a lot. I don't, you know, I know in California and I know in Florida, the, you know, the minimum wage used to be what about like $7 an hour. So let's say that that's the case for Michigan. That's three hours of work. And this person is donating what they can so that hopefully I get elected and that they will feel that their voice is heard even all the way in Michigan. So that reliance on the small dollar donor programs is so important. And we're actually seeing that we are seeing that with so many new members of the new GOP that have come to Congress that are really able to maximize on that small dollar donor program. And that is something that, again, I mean, you look at the progressive left and how they've engineered these massive machines working with big tech to kind of boost these platforms and ensure that these people are actually able to fundraise these small dollars on their own is what they say, even though we know that they're getting help, but we're able to do it and we're able to do it on our own. And I continue to say that that's probably one of the most important things that members of Congress can do is get that small dollar program. It's so important that again, you go to Washington DC and you are representing the interests and the needs of the American people and not, or and your constituents and not those special interest groups. And then also, I think one of the most important that we are saying is the new GOP wants to put an end to these endless wars. I will get to more of that after our quick break. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival, presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean, Keith Urban, Jelly Roll, Old Dominion, Lady A, Riley Green, Ashley McBride, Brothers Osborne, Walker Hayes, all hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th, stream only on Hulu, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. 
The whole military industrial complex is something that the United States, up until recently, I think a lot of members of Congress did not feel comfortable coming out and addressing. But, you know, this year especially marks the 20 year anniversary of the war in Afghanistan. And you guys already know my story with my husband and, you know, the fact that I am a military member. This is so incredibly important because even now we're seeing some of the long-term effects of this war, whether it's with the suicide rates, whether, you know, and I'm, I'm still thinking that we're probably going to see an increase in lung cancer cases, honestly, from these burn pits, from what our service members were exposed to during the war in Afghanistan. But it's, it's sad. It's sad because a lot of what we're seeing is these warmongers that have existed for so long in DC that don't have any family members in the military that haven't even served themselves. They have no idea what they are putting our, some of our brightest and best, they have no idea what they're putting them through. And actually next week, I'll be doing an episode on the military, my experience, and an inside look into what these families go through. And I actually also too wrote a book on this called Bringing Them Home, which is actually now up for uh, purchase. You can buy it online on Barnes and Noble, and then also to on Amazon, just Google it, Bringing Them Home. And for me, that is such a personal thing because what we saw is that these wars, there's no reason for us to still be there. You know, I support the military. Of course, my husband is still in. I have many friends that are still serving as well, but this new wave of Republicans are not warmongers. And I always found it interesting how many, again, representatives say they support the troops. They'll take photos with us. They put it out on their flyers. They say that they support a strong military, but yet they are so incredibly quiet on this. And then you look at who, how they're taking money from and they're taking money from these lobbyists, from these pro-military industrial complex groups, these basically, I'll call them pro-war groups, right? War is good for business for these people and offer them money for their campaigns and then they fold. And so it's like military members are not just something that you get to put on a flyer and send out so that you can get someone to vote for you. We're so much more than that. And when you have the support and you say that you're going to defend the military community, that also means actively voicing your opinion on pulling out and not funding these endless wars. So how do you you support the troops essentially when we are still in a 20-year war in Afghanistan with no end in sight? What about the families? I mean, why was there so much opposition and pushback to a withdrawal from Afghanistan, even from some members within the GOP, which honestly disgusted me. But now that the Biden administration is in effect, they're saying that it's basically their idea. You have the entire DNC going along with it. Everyone's like, okay, yeah, we're going to make a withdrawal from Afghanistan. I mean, is that not the perfect example of using military members when it's convenient for optics, but really behind closed doors if they realize that it's a good idea, but that it might somewhat make, you know, Trump or the Republican party look good that all of a sudden it's this thing that we should work against. I mean, these people, in my opinion, if that's how you're voting, I honestly think you're a sociopath because we're talking about human lives here. We are talking about the long-term effects that it's having on people's families. I mean, PTSD is still something that's super taboo that people I think in the military don't even feel comfortable talking about. Most members of Congress unless you've served have no idea that what it's really like. And there's only so much you can read in a book without having experienced it yourself or seeing, you know, a close loved one or, or um, family member or even friend go through it. 
but also to this fact that veteran suicides are still through the roof because of post-traumatic stress disorder. It's not a made up thing. It's absolutely real. And you know, these lockdowns only made that worse. America is not the global police force. We should not be one at least. And the sacrifices that our troops are making are worth their weight in gold. There's no amount of money that you could put on that to say that it's okay for that. We need to give these people a break. We need to bring them home. I think the amount of actual enlisted personnel and commissioned personnel in the United States, I want to say it's less than 1% of the U.S. population. Okay. That's not a lot. After World War II, the reason why you saw the baby boomer era is because a lot of people had served. I'm the first person to tell you that I think only a stupid person would ever advocate for war because you realize what it's doing to people. You realize what it's doing to the country. And then also too, never mind the deficit. I mean, no one talks about that either, but these wars are expensive and they are not good for the people that are picking up the tab, which are the American taxpayers. So it's not possible to understand the idea of freedom being paid for in blood unless you've actually been there. And then you have this concept of the new GOP standing up for the constitution that includes the first and the second amendment. Again, I mean, I did a huge episode on big tech and the issue that it's having and the effect that it's having on our election process. And there's so many people that get soft on these issues. The First Amendment with big tech is a huge problem. The Second Amendment shall not be infringed is extremely straightforward. And all of these people want to put in these special clauses, if, and, and, but. None of that should apply to the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment means that the people have the right to own firearms regardless of whoever's in office, regardless of what these bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. say. And as someone who has literally been involved, I walked in at nine years old to an armed robbery. You know, when I was in high school, there was a gang shooting on my campus. I've had a cousin murdered. I had one of my friends murdered in L.A. And then I joined the military and I had a home invasion and it left me traumatized. I get a firearm to protect myself. And all of a sudden the media says that I shouldn't have the right to own firearms, that we need, quote unquote, you know, according to the media, the media says that Americans need gun control. All of that is completely wrong. In fact, it's not just a little bit wrong. It's not American. It's completely against what the constitution is standing for. And then understanding the whole concept of term limits, which is something that we need to have. I think that, and if it were up to me, if we could take back control of the House and the Senate and then have a president in in office that would be willing to sign this, I think that we should have term limits, not just on the elected members of Congress and Senate. We have to remind these people that once you're elected, it doesn't mean a lifetime appointment. Okay. Dianne Feinstein will be in her nineties and she has filed for re-election. Tell me if there's anyone that you think who's in their 90s that you actually believe should still be traveling back and forth to D.C. and voting. If you're 90 years old, kick back, relax. You should be passing it off and honestly standing up through being a mentor, your replacement, but you should not be running for Congress again or running for Senate again at that age. And it's crazy to me that no one discusses this. I mean, Everyone complains that America currently is so upside down and backwards, yet we continue to vote for the people that have been there for decades and not brought any change, have not done anything to help the country, and are the reason why we are in these endless wars, are the reason why we went to Vietnam. I mean, think about that. There's people in office who were there during the Vietnam War, the Gulf War, And then the global war on terror and then the war in Afghanistan. I mean, that's to me, that's nuts. Give other people the opportunity to make their voices heard. And term limits should also apply to the bureaucrats in D.C., including staff members, including people in the State Department, including people 
that have been there for that long. Why? Because when you have centralized control and power like that, it's not good for anyone. In fact, it's quite the opposite. All it does is completely push the same agendas that didn't work regardless of who's holding office. So what does this new GOP mean for the country? The new party means change, but for better. And no, I'm not referencing the Obama era slogan change, whatever he was trying to say that he was representing, which we all know is a lie. I'm talking about actual change, which is going back to the basics of what we were supposed to be as a country, as a constitutional republic. No more establishment control, but power back in the place and the hands of the American people. And that is something that I think for a very long time, at least as early as I can remember up until the last couple of years, I didn't know if it was actually possible. I wasn't exactly all that political when I was in high school. I didn't exactly grow up in a political family. And if anything, you know, I was raised by a young single mother who, you know, is a Democrat. But for me, what that means is that if you actually work hard and you can attain these positions, that you can actually bring change and really protect that whole crazy idea and concept like the left likes to think of the American dream and honestly leave a better country for future generations. You know, after all, America is one of the greatest experiments in the history of civilization. Our constitution requires the constant intention and devotion of all citizens and the obligation of our elected representatives to do just that. I actually found that online. You had Benjamin Franklin, who was approached by a group of citizens right after the signing. And he goes, they're asking, what sort of government have the delegates created? And he answered, a republic, if you can keep it. So this new GOP, God willing, will do exactly that. Before we go, I want to thank you guys so much for listening. If you've enjoyed today's show, please leave us a review and rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. You can also find me on Parlor, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Real Anna Paulina. And a special thank you to our producer, Drew Steele, writer Aaron Kliegman, and researcher Stenson Bryson, as well as executive producers Debbie Myers and speaker Newt Gingrich, part of the Gingrich 360 Network. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival, presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean, Keith Urban, Jelly Roll, Old Dominion, Lady A, Riley Green, Ashley McBride, Brothers Osborne, Walker Hayes, all hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th, stream only on Hulu, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific.